You just have to shake your head. I mean, sometimes it just gets to be that ridiculous. Just as the global economy is beginning to show more and more and more conclusive signs of heading toward a deflationary recession to the point that even labor market numbers are starting to crack, central banks around the world are going in the exact opposite direction. But you have to shake your head as to why they're doing so. We got some important data in the U.S. today, jobless claims, which for the third week in a row were continued to be high. Yet we also got a trio of central banks who decided they needed to raise interest rates even more, even though they don't really have a good handle on what's going on. And when I say that, what I mean by that is there's a high degree of uncertainty, especially in the econometric models that all of these central bankers use, which is causing them to fill in their own narrative in the space where they would normally say, well, we don't have any good idea about what's going on, which is what they should be saying. But instead, what, we're, what, they're, what they're looking at is models that are all over the place, unable to project any sort of reasonable confidence in either inflation or growth or recession or any of these things. And because they can't make sense of these numbers or can't come up with a solid interpretation of these numbers, they're just falling back on their theories, their narratives, and their biases, even as the data goes in the opposite direction. So today we got the Swiss National Bank. They hiked rates by 25 basis points. Uh, that's better. That's slower than the 50s they have been doing. But they said it cannot be ruled out that additional rises in the S&B policy rate will be necessary to ensure price stability over the median term. The Norway, Norway, Norwegian Central Bank, it hiked rates by 50 basis points and said they're going to do another one in August and likely do another 50 basis points total by the time they get to the autumn. The Bank of England, to nobody's surprise, given the consumer price numbers over there, the Bank of England said there has been significant upside news in recent data that indicates more persistence in the inflation process against the background of a tight labor market and continued resilience in demand. So they did 50 basis points, raising their benchmark repo rate up to 5% total. Now contrast what's going on with these central banks in China. The Chinese, of course, as we've mentioned this week, are lowering their rates because they see ahead what's going on in the real economy, while these central banks are looking behind and, as I said, filling in these enormous gaps of uncertainty with their own pre-existing positions. In fact, they make the Federal Reserve look, look, uh, look admirable by contrast. The Fed, at least, was willing to say, we're going to pause our rate hikes because of this uncertainty. And I'm going to break down this uncertainty for you using a DSGE model or a set of DSGE model numbers showing you exactly what I mean. And in particular, where this resilient economy is coming from. Maybe not where you would expect it to, although maybe you would if you understand econometrics. So we got all that to look at. Labor market data. What's really going on in this uncertainty? Is there really an inflation crisis in central banks? But first... I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available where we talk about Eurodollars, the Eurodollar system, money, theory, 
what's going on and what should be going on in the Eurodollar system and why it isn't performing the way it should. We also have research subscriptions available. I do a daily briefing. That's a contribution in partnership with MarketsInsiderPro.com. Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Shukat, there's a research bundle over there. And I also do a daily deep dive analysis. That's at the Eurodollar University website where we dive deep into all of these things, money and macro, what's going on today so that we can understand, hopefully, what's going on in the near-term future. All the information available for you at eurodollar.university. So while the hawks are back in charge across global central banks, again, we'll get to why that is, although we talked a little bit about it yesterday with Mr. Bernanke's uh, recent paper showing that even economists understand that we had a supply shock version of consumer prices, but central banks are now concerned, knowing that it was a supply shock, that the supply shock is fading and handing off to a tight labor market, Phillips curve version of inflation. And they believe the labor market is tight because they think the economy is resilient. And they think the economy is resilient because, well, we'll get into that in a second. But we look, we got the data, jobless claims that make it look like maybe the economy isn't as resilient as they thought. And part of the problem here, too, begins with the idea, this, this widespread idea, that economic changes happen in linear fashion. So jobless claims, for example, or inflation numbers themselves would go down a little bit at a time, a little bit behind. They would go down in a predictable path. So if the Fed raised rates, consumer price increases start to slow down, unemployment starts to rise in very gentle linear fashion, and we can all say we're right here in the process. We expected this to happen, and we're right on track to where we should be. But that's not how economies work. That's not how dynamic systems work to begin with. What we see over time, especially when you look at core consumer price rates, is that they are distinctly nonlinear. Core rates tend to be stubborn until all of a sudden they're not. So in 2008, which is a perfect example, whether in Europe or the United States or anywhere else around the world, you had core consumer prices that were relatively steady. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, they just fell off a cliff because the economy did. The economy does not work in linear fashion either. We've talked about this with labor hoarding. Businesses see that the economy's slowing down, they see their businesses start to fall off, and they don't just start firing workers a little, one or two at a time, then maybe three or four, then maybe five or six. They don't do it in linear fashion. They don't fire any workers, they make minor adjustments to their hours. They start cutting back on perks, maybe slow down in weekly pay with hours, but until that point where they see the economy is actually falling apart, and then they fire everybody all at once. So the economy seems to be just fine, and then all of a sudden it isn't fine. And in between the just fine and isn't fine, is a tremendous amount of uncertainty where if you don't look at the entire picture, if you get tunnel vision on, say, core consumer prices, you miss all of the warning signs that tell you to expect nonlinearity in the near future, which may be what we're getting right now in the United States in the form of the labor market, jobless claims, as I mentioned in the introduction. 
The Department of Labor this this morning announced that initial filings for jobless claims were 264,000 on a seasonally adjusted basis. That's the second week in a row because they revised last week's higher to 264,000. Both of them now the highest since October of 2021. But with jobless claims, those are that's a noisy statistic. That's one you never want to take at face value, even on a certainly on a one-week basis or two-week basis. But now. This is the third week in a row where jobless claims on a seasonally adjusted basis have been above 260,000. That brings the four-week average up to 255,750, so very nearly 260,000. The four-week average, which smooths out some of these variations, is the highest since November 2021. So another signal here that's becoming more reliable, not quite there yet, but more reliable, suggesting that non-linearity in the labor market is developing. The economy seemed to be just fine. Labor markets appeared to be tight by the unemployment rate and consumer prices, according to the Phillips curve, which is a wrong theory, but for central bankers, expecting consumer prices to do one thing, expecting the labor market to do one thing, only to find out it hasn't until just yet. So maybe the labor market is beginning to transition and with it, everything else falls too. Another data point we got today came from the conference board very quickly here. Their leading economic indicator declined by seven tenths of a percent in May. That's a little bit faster than the six tenths of a percent decline in April. The LEI, according to the conference board, down 4.3% over the six month period, which is another acceleration to the downside. Um, which the conference board now says the U.S. LEI continued to fall in May as a result of deterioration in the gauges of consumer expectations for business conditions, nonlinearity, uh, ISM New Orders Index, which is really negative, a negative yield spread, and worsening credit conditions. Worsening credit conditions, another nonlinear factor to take into account. So despite all the markets you know, China's yuan, inverted yield curve, forward rates, everything. China itself telling you the economy is heading in the wrong direction. Why are central bankers suddenly more concerned about a resilient economy with more inflation? To explain that, we're going to turn to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's Liberty Street Economics blog, which just last week posted its update for the New York Fed's DSGE model forecast. And the, this is a this is not the official Federal Reserve forecast, and they make 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 uh, they make that plain up front, but it doesn't really matter. We're not we don't need to use the exact same Furbis model that the Federal Reserve or FMC depends upon because most G DSG models are very much the same. There isn't a whole lot of difference between them. So the DSGE models that we're using at the New York Fed here, even though they're not the official forecast, they're going to be relatively the same as we see in Switzerland, what the Swiss National Bank is using, or in Norway, or in perhaps even London. So what the updated forecast last week showed was the change in forecast relative to March is very substantial. Output, output growth is projected to be much higher throughout the forecast horizon than in March. The probability of a not-so-soft landing defined as four-quarter GDP growth dipping below minus 1% by the end of 2023 has declined to 26% from 41% in March and 70% last September. So there, it sounds like we've got some resilient, econo uh, resilient economy at work here. Maybe even, therefore, a tight labor market, resilient economy, tight labor market, there's the inflation, right? 
Well, the F the at least these DSG numbers going back to FRB and Y, inflation projections are a bit higher in 2023 due to the fact that inflation in Q1 has once more surprised to the upside relative to the the survey professional forecasters that the Philadelphia Fed puts together in February, but is otherwise considerably lower than projected in March. Because when you step away from the core rate, you actually do have material improvement because of oil prices, oil prices that are lower again today, back under $70 per barrel. And by the way, just back in March, the uh, the FRB and the Liberty Street Economics blog people wrote this about the what they finally learned as to where all of this consumer price stuff was coming from. The model explained some developments by postulating that, number one, inflation was mainly driven by cost push shocks in 2021 and early 2022, the effects of which are starting to vanish, albeit slowly. Again, what Ben Bernanke wrote in his recent paper, the Federal Reserve also can see in their models. It was a supply shock, and they're only... They're only assuming that a tight labor market will take up the baton of inflation from the supply shock and continue to, to plague the economy moving forward. That's an assumption based on, based on what? Here's FRB, again, Liberty Street Economics blog, June update. This fairly dramatic change in the forecast is mostly due to one new piece of information. The survey professional forecasters' long-term inflation expectations have dropped by about 45 basis points in the first quarter of 23 relative to the fourth quarter of 22, a very large change by historical standards. The model interprets this change in long-run inflation expectations as resulting from higher expected total, total factor productivity growth, which rationalizes both lower inflation and higher output projections. When we say these people have a very spreadsheet way of understanding the economy, this is what we mean. And this is literally an example of it. So the survey of professional forecasters in the first quarter said, hey, long run, inflation appears to be going down. It goes, appears to be going down because we can see where all of the supply shock stuff is going. But because they didn't make an adjustment in their overall output model, in order to balance what they consider an equation, they interpret this one change as a much higher level of real output growth. Lower inflation expectations, higher long-run output potential, therefore the economy is, is performing much better than they otherwise had, had, had assumed. But that's just a calculation. In fact, Liberty Street Economics, they actually say this. Were it not for this data point, output and inflation projections would be a lot closer to those in March. They wouldn't have changed all that much from those awful numbers. With inflation actually a bit stronger throughout the horizon and output growth higher only in the short term. While the dependence of the forecast on one data point makes us uncomfortable, we chose to follow standard practice and incorporate it in the projections. Nonetheless, this dependence should be kept in mind. That's a huge, massive grain of salt. So the resilient economy, according to when you, when you control for this one input change, the resilient economy is only a couple quarters, maybe just the, the, the most recent quarters. It doesn't necessarily mean it will last. And when you look at the DSGE uh, calculations, you can see the levels of uncertainty all over these forecasts. I mean, it's just massive amounts of uncertainty. 
The mean projection for this year, 2023, is now 1%, as they said. That's up from 0.2. The lower bound is is minus 1.9 compared to minus 3.7. There's the improvement. And the upper bound is 4.0 compared to 4.1. So most of the projection, uh, most of the improvement this year was less of a downside risk. But these are 68% confidence intervals, not something like 95. This is 68%. And notice the spread here, minus 1.9 or plus 4. So we could have a quarter that would be among the worst recessionary, or not just a quarter, but a year that, that's among the worst recessionary years, minus 1.9 is really bad, or it could be plus four, which would be one of the best years in uh, certainly recent economic history. Anywhere in between, the level of uncertainty is absolutely off the charts. Here, March 2024, the DSG models now project a mean of 0.96%, so about 1% growth. That's the mean. The 68% confidence interval is anywhere between minus three and plus five. That's an eight point spread. It's utterly meaningless. The 90% confidence is minus five and a half to plus eight. So anywhere between absolutely catastrophic at minus five and a half, that's, that's late 2008 to early 2009, or plus eight, which is like the third quarter of 2021 or somewhere, you know, a reopening quarter, a absolutely skyrocketing robust quarters. This is a couple quarters ahead. They're saying we really don't have any idea what the economy is going to do over the next several quarters. We just don't know because the level of uncertainty is huge. And because consumer price numbers, especially core rates, are not behaving in a linear fashion, central bankers are looking at the uncertainty in these models and inferring this Phillips curve, labor tightness, resilient economy narrative and saying we need to start hiking rates. Meanwhile, the real economy is nothing like those rate hikes or the uncertainty in the models. Just ask the Chinese. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, MarketsInsiderPro.com research subscribers, and of course, our Eurodollar University members. Again, thank you very much. And until next time, everyone take care.